Back here on the Northland Sports page, Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook, little what is love as we continue the love theme. Our Valentine's Day edition of the Northland Sports page, celebrating it a little bit late here on the 17th of February. Hour number two is upon us. Again, we're here until noon. Then Dave Cook will be off to Mars Lakeview Arena for some Hilltopper hockey as the Section 7AA playoffs technically start today with the play-in tournament. 7 versus 10 is Marshall versus Northern Edge. And 8 versus 9 involves Anoka and Cambridge. And then Tuesday night on these airwaves, the Battle of the Duluth Public Schools as it'll be Denfeld versus East in the 3 versus 6 matchup. We can talk a little bit of hockey with our next guest. We can also talk some baseball as well. Seth Marsalek not able to get in the groove today in terms of in the studio, but he's going to groove with us on the phone instead. Yeah, he, he might. Yeah, he might. He switched mics again on I me. Did you want me to go stereo? No, again? I don't. Um, he might be at Mars Lakeview Arena right now as well, Brian. So it'll be interesting to talk to Seth, get a little bit of take on what he's expecting to see today, and and talk a little baseball. Yeah, we will talk a little bit of baseball, but we can start with hockey, certainly, because that was part of the confusion today. We thought Seth would be in the building, and he said, I thought we were going next Saturday. And I said, it was too much of an iffy situation with hockey playoffs. But to be fair, for Marshall Hilltopper parents, as Seth is, they've got hockey playoffs today. So let's start there. And Seth, good morning. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So it is uh, playing tournament day for your family. This Hilltopper team that has played well but just not well enough to win some tight games down the stretch, still is about as scary of a seven seed as you're probably going to see. Yeah, I think uh, this group is uh, not only youthful, but uh, loaded with talent uh, in the in the, in the underclasses. Um, in the end, this time of year, it's less about uh, the sophomores and juniors and more about the fact that in many ways those guys have graduated and have got a full year of varsity hockey under their belt and uh, are a, a bit more battle-tested leading into the playoffs, and we're optimistic about the run they can make here. And then there's just the simplistic part of it. A good goaltender, a hot goaltender, as they say, can make a postseason run possible anytime. Marshall, in my opinion, and especially if you look at save percentages across the state, Marshall may have the best opportunity to steal anything they want because of Kanan Smith. No, Kanan is... Uh cream of the crop in his uh, age group on a national scale. Uh, not only is he a very talented uh, hockey player, but very high character young man. I think um, when you're looking at how to build the program, not only from a strength positionally, but in terms of the type of character you're getting in someone like young Kanan, um, it's the best of both worlds for Marshall. I have nothing but good things to say about Kanan and the Smith family. And um, they lead by example, and I hope uh, I hope he not only plays well today, but uh, we're very excited to see what his future is going to bring. So it will be interesting. One o'clock puck drop at Mars. Dave Cook, I know you're headed there as soon as we're done. That's right. The winner of this contest between Marshall and Northern Edge gets the trip to Andover as part of the quarterfinals. Again, all the quarters are Tuesday in both 7A and 7AA. Again, these airwaves will have a radio broadcast of East versus Denfeld, the battle for public school supremacy. East beat Denfeld in overtime earlier this year, just as they did Marshall earlier this week. So the Greyhounds, they've been playing some tight games. We'll see what happens there. Playoff time, all the games are tight. But Seth, the switch gears, albeit maybe smoothly or not, playoff games are tight in hockey. And usually when we're talking about playoff hockey, we're still looking at, you know, 15, 20 degree weather, which we might be today. But, you know, feet of snow on the ground in past years when you've been here to talk baseball with us. I don't want to jinx anything, but as we shift to baseball, is this the year that you've got to be thinking, man, we might actually have a spring season the way everybody is supposed to? Because 
Mother Nature didn't get the memo that winter was supposed to happen. As a baseball guy, you've got to be pretty excited about the prospect of a normal quote-unquote season. Yeah, I think uh, for me what's that's truly amazing is the tale of two seasons, right? I mean, last year we're setting 100-year record over and over and over again in terms of snowfall and in terms of how extreme our winter was last year. And that obviously expect, uh, affected our spring sports season in a fairly dramatic way. This year we get the complete opposite. We get a scenario in which uh, we may well get outside early. Um, captain's practice has a different feel to it from what I understand. And uh, the spring sports seasons, baseball included, are very excited to be able to take advantage of a, a pretty mild here winter. Now, with the weather being so different, tell us where we are in your season in terms of preparation. And I'm wondering, even just calendar-wise, are we later in talking to you? Are we early? Because we do this with you annually, and we love doing it. But, you know, most times on the youth end, you're still talking about town hall meetings <clears throat> and registration and things like that. Now I believe you mentioned that it's three weeks away from tryouts. Are we... Are we late on some steps, or are we right on schedule and talking to you as we have been most years? No, this is traditionally when we sit down and try to get the good word out. We had our town hall meeting back on the 7th about a week and a half ago. Um, For those that are interested in playing youth baseball here in the greater uh, Duluth area, you can find all that town hall content at Duluth709Baseball.com or through our Facebook page and or Instagram. Um, It pretty much lays out the season. Uh, We're right now allowing kids into the indoor facilities, namely Strike Zone up in uh, Rice Lake here, to um, start working on uh, their skill sets, getting some throwing, getting some hitting in, feeling some ground balls, and uh, just uh, getting a nice run-up to evaluations here mid-March. So, Seth, it's getting to the point now where you can you can look backwards a little bit at 709 and the Expos and all that because those kids are really starting to impact uh, high school and they're starting to go into college and whatnot. Um, tell me the differences that you think this focused development program uh, has made for baseball in Duluth because, frankly, we're turning out some pretty good players. Yeah, I think um, what, what's most rewarding to us is we're seeing the enrollment counts uh, buoy and start to uh, head back in the right direction, which is somewhat of the antithesis of what a lot of youth sports are seeing these days in terms of enrollment and participation. We're very excited to see our numbers grow and the interest level grow. But outside of the quantity of players playing baseball, uh, we're really excited about the quantity. Uh, We're getting two or three competitive tournament teams at almost every age level um, and doing quite well with the state qualifiers that uh, we choose to participate in as well as hosts. And then on the club level with the Expos program and whatnot, uh, we feel like we can really go anywhere in the Midwest with our groups at this point and compete quite well. It's nice to be able to kind of put our best foot forward as a Northern Minnesota baseball community and uh, start building some heritage and some culture as to what's possible, not just beating up on each other at a local level, but really competing with the larger Metro teams and beyond throughout the Midwest. That's That was what the answer I was hoping for, Brian. That's what I like to hear. A quick question, though, uh, Seth, for you. Pitchers, young kids are starting to are starting to fire up their arms, and and we read all the time in the majors about this guy's you know arm injury and that guy and uh, Winder. Did you see that he's he's now at spring training with a fractured clavicle or whatnot? Um, when you're teaching, when you, when you're working with a young kid, when you're working with somebody who's interested in pitching, how do you start with how do you start with a kid who's ten year old and, and loves the idea of pitching? Is it fastball, changeup? What are you what are you working with them right away? Uh, it's a lot of mechanics right away. 
and we're simply getting them into a repeatable delivery where they're really working from a great base with their hips and their legs and being able to drive uh, towards their target, uh, getting them to see some success in terms of locating a simple fastball at the youngest ages is uh, uh, easier said than done for most kids. In reality, we can give them the tools, but most of that growth for those that really fall in love with the game happens in their driveway with mom and dad and big brother and little brother. We put them on a path, and then it's up to them to put in the volume and be able to throw on a regular basis and then come back to us so we can tinker and start incorporating some other pitches and uh, continue to build in their mental and emotional confidence. So we are talking with Seth Marsalek. Seth, before I ask you my next question, I want to ask what title do you like bestowed upon you? Because I could say Mr. founder of Expos Baseball. I could say 709 Baseball, as we have when you've had discussions with us before. Always I could bad. say pork chop because we go back to high school together. What would you like me to throw at you before I ask my next question? Uh, <laughs> good old Seth is fine with me, Brian. You and I go back uh, half a lifetime together. We do. We do, I'm not real big into titles. All right, fair I enough. Would, I would tell you that. Go ahead. I mean, just to close the idea, I mean, I love how involved uh, not only I get to be, but a lot of like-minded people get to be mm-hmm. in regards to uh, the impact we get to have on youth athletics here. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not real big on titles. All I right. really love just being one of the many here and, and uh, seeing what happens from there. We can call him Owen's dad. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know if you heard any of our hockey broadcasts. I, I try to send you them when you ask, but uh, a couple of nights ago, you played a lot of shifts because yeah, Dave, yeah, Dave yeah. couldn't decipher Seth from Owen to save his life. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so nice work against the Greyhounds for a guy that went to East, especially. But Seth Marsala got a lot of ice time yeah, somehow. Yeah, yeah. All right, but anyway, moving on, talking about the number of people that get to be involved in different sports avenues in our community, kind of segues right into my question about multi-sport athletes because Dave and I love those types. But there are some people that are high up in certain sports that do or don't because, you know, you talk about this sport is your meal ticket. Dedicate your time to getting better at it. We look at some of the baseball standouts right in Duluth. You know, Owen Marsalik, your son, is playing topper hockey. Max Beresford, too. Everybody at East Denfeld in the gym on Thursday got to see Bjorn Lynn go for 20-plus on the basketball court. But he might be East's best baseball weapon this season. Your take on the multi-sport for those who might be best at baseball. I would tell you that the best source you can think about for validating multi-sport athletes is the people they want to play for at the next level. To a man, every major D1 baseball coach I've talked to, and I've talked to quite a number of them over the last many years, really advocate for them to be multi-purpose. In the end, there's a place and a time for them to specialize in a particular sport that they choose to move on with, but... Um, we really want them being well-rounded people. Sure, not only just well-rounded athletes, but I would go beyond that, Brian. I'd be talking about having these athletes go join the math club. I look at a kid like Carter Casey out of Grand Rapids. The kid's an outstanding young goalie, right? Everyone sees that. But through his dad, I know that he's a great mathlete for the Grand, Rap- Grand Rapids Thunderhawks, too. Right. You know, like that type of stuff. Is, is what it's all about for us. We want to be able to maximize the high school experience with these kids so they understand the benefits of not just being a great athlete, but being a great community member and tapping into all the opportunities that surround them. Yeah, I'm going to add on to that, Seth, because part of part of my gig, Brian, is working with the trades and getting trades in the schools. And sometimes I think that the kids who focus on one or the other 
miss the opportunity to be involved. So if you get a baseball player, a hockey player, and, and I've had a couple, you know, who want to become an electrician. Sometimes the, you know, the athletes in the school kind of push towards, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. But like Seth said, if you can get involved in the math leagues or the robotics or, you know, the hot rod club in two harbors, right? Right. Get just stretch your, stretch your wings so you can utilize all those different pieces of your life to get better at the things you love. Right. Versatility can never be undersold. And Seth, that's part of why I asked you about what title you wanted because you do so many things. It wasn't just to have a, a good laugh with you because you put it beautifully that you and I do go back half a lifetime together. But part of the reason I wanted to establish a title for you is because there probably are listeners out there that are hearing about these different baseball groups for the first time, whether it's 709, whether it's the Expos, whatever level of youth baseball, they may have a child that is very interested in it. Being that the town halls already happened, being that tryouts are nearing, if somebody's interested now, they need to take action promptly. What do they need to do? Well, I would tell you we should clarify the different levels that they can engage at. Starting at the youngest levels, um, this would be three-year-olds through nine-year-olds. There's some really great offerings throughout the city community organizations for baseball. Uh, Lake Park Baseball out east provides three different levels. Rather than offering the t-ball level, as many folks have been thinking about the youngest levels of development in the past, we converted last year to wiffle ball for our youngest kids. We call it the Little Boppers program on the east side of town. Uh, we get the big red bats out. We get the squishy balls out. And we put them close enough to the fence where they can see the ball kind of fly and hit, hit, uh, hit their entry-level home runs and um, trot around the bases for the first time, right? Um, instructional minors happens after that within those same programs, not, not just at Lake Park, but on Western Little League out on the west side of town. Um, Tom Ream and uh, Matt and Roger Peterson and their staff do an outstanding job of creating a great youth opportunity out west for those base, young baseballers. Uh, and those programs all lead up into 709 baseball. Once they get to be 9, 10 years old and are ready to try out for your more traditional majors teams, we bring those groups together and make sure that there's a consistent offering in terms of their progress and education experience. And then ultimately, um, they, they work beyond that into their VFW and Legion days uh, through the high school coaches and folks like Corey Burrell, who put on a great summer offering for those kids uh, working uh, hand-in-hand -hand with their high school teams uh, to get another 20, 30 games in throughout the course of the summer. So that's kind of the maturation process of a young baseball player and family here in the greater Duluth area. And we'd really encourage anybody interested to tap into those uh, outlets and join us here this, this spring and summer. Not to mention, as you mentioned, Corey Verl, he makes some great bats as well. He's brought some into the studio before. That fascinates me in its own right. Speaking of being fascinated, though, I know you can't see us because radio is not a visual medium and you're joining us by phone. But when you mentioned the age groups and you started with age three, Dave and I both lip synced three to each other. I got to know a little bit more about what that is like, because I would think at age three, there might be some people that can't even say the word baseball, much less play it. Now, I never had that problem because I talk too much. And to this day, I've never shut up specifically about baseball. But what are we really doing with three-year-olds in development terms? Uh, again, development is a loose term. It's getting them at to the ballpark, right? It's getting them around baseball facilities. More importantly than baseball, it's getting them outside as opposed to spending a lot of time watching cartoons or on screens at a young age, we want these people physically active and, and getting into a uh, mode that they choose to be outside 
and engage physically with their community as opposed to simply being dormant in the house. You know, so three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds as part of little boppers, we're going to get that big red bat out. We're going to turn the music up, get them around their peer group, and let them have a good time. You know, It's very much hurting cats, to be clear. I mean, these kids, <laughs> they're still very young, but they are very excited to be there. They love the idea of having a jersey and a hat and being a part of a team. Uh, the idea of going to the concession stand after uh, a little boppers game can't be understated. <laughs> like, it is, uh, even for as long as I've been doing it, I'll go so, down there and sit them and uh, watch those kids just play wiffle ball for the first time, and it is incredibly rewarding for those of us that choose to put in a lot of time with the sport. Dave, the I, Saturday morning show I was going to say, I got to be honest, taking out the big red bat with a wiffle ball, cranking up the music, and having some concessions – Seth mentions three, four, and five. I'll be 45 in just over a month. That sounds fun now. You know, the thing about what Seth's talking about is more than just ball, though. It's creating a community of parents. It's a culture. You know, you get yep. you get a chance to know other parents who love this stuff as well. Then as you grow, as you're growing older, you're growing as families together, right? You're doing the same sort of fun things. When you're going on a trip, you guys are staying together and having the tent and, and having cookouts with the kids because you're traveling to another another place to play ball. He's right. This is a way to really make a, a baseball community, and it seems to be being really successful. And again, speaking of the community wanting to get involved in the baseball that you have a responsibility for, Seth, talk about who they should contact again online, where they should go. I just want listeners out there that hopefully are loving this segment and the information in it to be able to take some action. What should they do? Yep. If you're one of these younger families wanting to get involved below the age of nine, LakeParkBaseball.com has all those details. Registration's open now. WesternLittleLeague.com, out west, same thing. Registration's open now. Uh, the numbers are uh, well ahead of last year. We're very excited to see that for both of those youth programs. For your middle-aged uh, 10-year-olds through 15-year-old children uh, heading into their prep days, Duluth709Baseball.com is open with registration again evaluations for those kids are three weeks away and there are training opportunities available for them to sign up for right now um and i think those are kind of the focal points here for what the message we wanted to get out today i would agree with you certainly sounds like there are a plethora of options speaking of options seth i'm going to give you one our next segment we got to go to break here but our next segment because pitchers and catchers reported this week our next segment is going to be very major league baseball centric and when Dave and I thought you were coming here in the flesh today, we said, well, let's keep him around for two segments because he has no shortage of good baseball opinions. Would you like to hang with us by phone and talk some big leagues as well? Well, if I get to go shoulder to shoulder with Dave and talk uh, spring training, hot stove baseball, I uh, yes. tough to turn that sort of opportunity down. Let's, we uh, let's get we might do that at the rink look today. Look forward to getting into it with you guys. All uh, right. Well, then we will assume that's a yes. Stick around. It's the Northland Sports page. Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook, Seth Marsalek still with us by phone. Talking about the game we love most, the good old game of baseball. Stick around. We'll be right back. That one doesn't always fit our energetic bump in or bump out, but the theme of the day has been love, the Valentine's Day belated version as opposed to Taylor's version here on the Northland Sports page, celebrating Valentine's Day on the 17th of February instead. A little bump in there, endless love, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Because, again, so many sports that we love dearly, but we're on to the topic of baseball. And, Dave Cook, you and I said that was our bond. It was the beginning of our friendship out at Wade. And, again, uh, baseball might be the one we love the most. It is the one that we have um, – it's the longest history, too. It's not just – 
it's not just the one we love the most. It's one we have the most experience with. It's the one that we have the most stories with. And that's the thing that makes baseball special. Right. I think it is the one that calls upon the history of itself as a sport most often. Yeah. And and the thing about baseball is I, I learned it on the radio, right? So yes, the, as did I. The pictures are in my head, not through a screen. And that makes – I think baseball is – is so much better on the radio. I was going to say, my first best friend late at night might have been Herb Carneal. He just didn't know that. 100%. Right. 100%. Hey, let's quick talk about our sponsor. Yes, we think? love them too. All right, let's start with Comfort Systems, Kohler Toyota and Kohler Hyundai, Stewart's Bike Sports and Trophies, Mount Royal Bottle Shop, the Blackwoods Group, including the locations, Tavern on the Hill, Up on the Hill, Blackwater. That's such a weird thing to say. I know, but you're like three weeks solid <laughs> doing that, so I expect it now. Blackwater right downtown, Two Harbors and Min Proctor, and on London Road, Advantage Emblem, and screen printing, Kraus Heating and Cooling, your carrier, HVAC authorized dealer, OAR Holdings, Hoops Brewing, and Arola Architecture Studio. Arola Architecture Studio was the OG, the original sponsor on this show. He brings you drawing lines. That segment will close the show with Vincey Glenn in about 10 minutes or so. But again, right behind Ryan was Hoops Brewing, and right behind both of them was OAR Holdings. And with that, we go to Seth Marsalek once again. He's been talking baseball with us. We're going to talk some big league baseball as well because, again, Pitchers and catchers reported on Valentine's Day. So they say, how can you not be romantic about baseball? This year it just made sense. Now, Seth Marsalek, I know Valentine's Day is also your birthday. So as a baseball guy, this had to be double the celebration for you, correct? Uh, It's a high point in the season, Brian, between uh, being able to celebrate Valentine's Day with my lovely wife and uh, spend uh, my birthday with my family and friends and pitchers and catchers reporting. It is a... uh, perfect storm in my world i would agree with you and now this year it seems like nationally the twins have some hype behind them now some of that might be because the american league central is still viewed as relatively weak and i think that's accurate the question i have is locally are we on the same bandwagon i'm always excited about the twins i was also part of why the song we chose was endless love because i'm always the guy that is championing the twins even if they're nowhere near championship level but this does look like a pretty good team not without some holes but a pretty good team. What are your expectations for the Twins going into, you know, say a month and change from now when they open, ironically, on my birthday in Kansas City on March the 28th? I think they're a little more battle-tested this year. I mean, I think about the playoff experience they had last year and being able to put themselves in that setting, many of them for the first time, and seeing uh, some of these young, predominant, um, budding superstars start to uh, kind of come into their prime as – Reason to be optimistic, for sure. See, and Brian, I tried to get you to change that song to I Hate Myself for Loving You. Yeah, but because... that's our Vikings song. <laughs> that's our Minnesota Vikings banger. We could, we could have done that. We could have done which love song is most closely associated with which team here in Minnesota. Sounds like a future episode, right, doesn't it? Right, right. The, um, the, the thing about the Twins, and, and this is much more recent than the stuff we've been talking about. Twins just got $40 million in their hip pocket. There's players out there that they can add... It's really a disservice to the fans to have such a great ending. And it, when I think everybody kind of understood when they said, well, we got no TV deal. Sorry, we got any money. But now that they have some money, it's going to be a huge disservice if they say, hey, last year was fun and everybody's hooked up already. So we don't really have to do anything and they're going to come, right? That's problematic to me. Right. This is a bit of a strange offseason in that sense because they're – is a faction of Twins fans that can't escape the cheap bleep poll ads as their mantra no matter what this team does. And then there are 
called Polad pocket protectors that apologize and give you reasons why they don't do these certain things. But you're right. They gave us a reason. Now that reason seems resolved. Right. Is it time to open said pocketbook? Uh, yes. Seth, I had said they'll make one more big move. The Cody Bellinger rumors started circulating yesterday. There's still a thought of maybe a Blake Snell because of the Scott Boris relationship. What would you like between those two, or do you think it's something completely off the beaten path from both of them? Uh, I'm good with either of those two moves, as long as there's a secondary move to grab Trevor Bauer at the same time. Yes. If that guy will play for the league minimum, like he's saying, I know it's a PR nightmare, but it's not a pocketbook nightmare at all. I agree with you. But Seth, tell me this. Couldn't you take his history and turn it into a PR? I mean, people are going to question it, but you could turn it into a PR positive if you brought him in and he started to work in that world and helping to open up people's eyes to it. Yeah, from where I'm sitting, again, I think we live in a land of laws, and if we want to pass judgment on people, we need to be able to let the legal process sort its way out. He was acquitted of all charges against him in that particular matter. He's trying to move on with his life. Yes, are there some PR issues that the club would have to deal with? Certainly. But on face value, from an individual belief standpoint, if you're not convicted, let's let the guy get back to his life. I mean, he clearly can help a team at this point. You're going to do so at a great commercial value to the club. And you know what? If there's some social matters that need to be resolved there or he needs to be able to be reinvested in, I think the guy's very, very motivated to be part of a successful club in the 24 campaign. Well, that's the curiosity I have because, yes, we are a land of laws, but we seem to be too often a land that is determined by the court of public opinion as well. We all know about Trevor Bauer exactly what you outlined. But you're not hearing of any market for this guy. Why? I think it's less about the acquittal and more and, and more about the manner in which he was challenging the baseball superstructure before all that happened. You saw him poking the bear many times at the commissioner's level, at the ownership level, and they're very much treating this guy as a, a black ball from where I'm from what I'm seeing. This is them circling the wagon saying this guy's never gonna play in the league again and I'm trying to figure out why. I agree with you there, and you mentioned the commissioner's level and some interesting news there that Rob Manfred announced that he'll finish his term and then that's it. Commissioners in pro sports, outside of, I'll say the NBA, more than likely get criticized versus applauded. I feel like David Stern, Adam Silver, and Combo got a lot of applause and praise and whatnot, but you know, you look at Gary Bettman and he's the butt of all jokes. Goodell gets booed constantly. You know, you look at the various baseball commissioners we've had and and not a lot of positive things have been said. Rob Manfred probably included. What's the type of person? I'm not looking for a specific name if you've got one by all means, but what's the type of person you'd like to see as the next commissioner in the game? Uh, I'd like to see someone uh, more along the lines of Adam Silver's disposition, someone that has a focus on growing the game globally, someone that's going to be able to empathize with those that, want the game's best interests at heart. Um, I think it's a thankless role, any of these professional sports commissioner positions. They obviously are well paid for that role. But when's the last time we really had one that people universally celebrated? They're few and far between. And I think that's what you're signing up for, right? In reality, I want someone that's going to do what's best for the game, be open-minded about how we can push the game to the next levels and, uh, help us here back uh, at the local level start reinvesting in our facilities, reinvesting in our baseball communities, and rebuilding the interest in the game uh, nationwide. 
So, Brian, Seth and I had a chance to talk a couple weeks ago um, about this very topic, and so I want to bring it up so we can talk about it in public. Bailey Ober, you've talked about my favorite. You've talked about how he's your favorite. I know Seth has a lot of faith in him. I'm still a little worried that he's only cracked 170 innings once in his entire career, and that was last year. So let's talk about Bailey Oburn, where he fits in the staff. All right, Seth, I'll let you go first. I'm, I'm excited to hear that we once again agree on this type of topic. Let's hear your take so I can have that. Uh, for me, he's slotted into a rotation spot. I, I the, the reality of where he fits, one through four, I know there's a, a fifth and even a, potentially a floating sixth spot to um, kind of speak on, but I think he's clearly one of the top four. I really like uh, his whip position over the last years. I love his uh, reduced fly ball rate. Uh, he's, uh, he's trending in the right direction, and he's proven it for several seasons in a row now. Uh, in, in terms of Dave's concern over the innings pitched, the reality is 160 innings is kind of the new 200 in the way the game's played these days. More, more and more goes to the bullpen now by design, especially in a strategic uh, structure the Twins choose to follow in terms of leaning heavier on the bullpen earlier in games. So anything north of 160 is more than serviceable from a starter's role based on how we're trying to win ball games right now. So the only mistake I made in letting you go first is it leaves me to go, yep, that sounds about right as far as my take because I agree with you. I think 160 is is higher up in terms of standards for pitchers now, and, and you hit on it, certainly in the Twins organization. Rocco Baldelli, fair or not, has been labeled as a as a five-and-fly type of manager, if you will. I think Bailey Ober is the three or the four. I think Pablo, obviously, and to some extent Joe Ryan, are going to get all the opportunities in the world they want. Chris Paddock will get an opportunity as well, but injuries alone make him a question mark. Bailey Ober, I think the problem people have with him is the way he pitches and the way he looks just don't correlate very well. He's built like a Randy Johnson, but he doesn't throw that way. But he's an extremely effective pitcher. You hit on the different, you know, the fly ball ratios, those type of things. I think he's going to be a solid part of this rotation. The other part of the innings concern for me is that's never been Bailey Ober's choice. It's not usually injury-related. It's the way that he's been coddled because of what COVID did to minor league baseball and the way the game is managed. That's that's my take on it, at least. I hope Bailey Ober has a hell of a year because if he does, I think the Twins do too. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And And then the other pitcher that we talked about was Joe Ryan and where Joe Ryan fits into all this, considering that the Twins pretty much, he didn't dump him off the, the playoff roster, but they took him out of just about every role he'd done. I think their concerns became glaring. He just couldn't keep the ball in the ballpark. Did you notice anything, Seth? I know the injury came out of nowhere, and I even smirked about it. Like, yeah, this injury came out of nowhere because they can't stand watching him pitch anymore. But did you notice anything that led to home run derby against Joe Ryan? I think it's a mental thing for him. In the end, before the Pablo trade, let's be clear, Joe Ryan was the darling of the Twins' rotation at that time, and he was pitching like it. His upward trajectory in terms of what we thought he was going to be the heading in the last year was all-star or better, You know, someone that potentially can compete for Cy Young's in the not-so-distant future. In order for this particular team to take the next steps and run deeper into the playoffs, I'm less concerned about what we're going to get out of Pablo because I think we all know what that looks like. And quite frankly, I think Bailey's going to be pretty darn reliable too. The focus has to be in seeing Joe Ryan return to form and that trajectory we saw prior to last year and Louis Barlin taking the next step in his development. Those guys do what they can do with their stuff. I'm more than happy to put us up against the best rotations in the game. Wow. I tend to agree with that. 
the Trevor Bauer thing still has me a little bit uneasy until I heard about the league minimum statement. I still think the PR, PR nightmare is, is crazy. We'll see if anything becomes of that. It's a slippery slope for everybody. You guys said going to the break moments ago that you wanted to go hot stove and battle against each other. We don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to give you one. I'm going to take Royce Lewis off the table because Royce Lewis is the answer. But this Twins team was carried by an incredible rookie class last year. Two kids that are seemingly going to get a lot of opportunities to continue to prove themselves are Walner and Julian. Which one has you, and I'm going to use a word I used in the first hour a lot as a theme today, which one has you more excited and why? Dave, you can go first. Uh, Once Julian started to work on his defense and became pretty much a passable second baseman, it's probably him. I mean, without him being able to play a defensive position, he becomes a you know, an on-base machine designated hitter, which, you know, we just traded one of those for Pablo Lopez. Uh, so the fact now that he is he's become serviceable means that we can get that into the offense and then put a little bit of pop back in the DH spot. So he's the one I'm most excited about. Walner scares me because he strikes out all the time. Seth, the floor is yours. Yeah, we got to find something to disagree on here, fellas. I mean, <laughs> in reality... <laughs> Julian is going to be the engine that makes this lineup go from the top. He's clearly a professional hitter. He's continuing to prove on the right side of the defense. For me, I don't even need Waller in the lineup. I need those. I, I, I want those at bats to go to Willie Castro. I think he had a great year. He's earned it every step of the way, and his stops prior to being here. Another great bottom of the order turnover sort of hitter. And I, I'm tired of the strikeouts. Walner's quickly finding his way into Sonoma land for me, and I'd rather see a guy that's consistently putting the ball in play and wreaking havoc on the basis. That's a better winning strategy for our group. See, that's an interesting take because Willie Castro for me, and I can't believe I didn't bring this up before, is why I think the steam behind Cody Bellinger shouldn't have any steam behind it. Uh, I So, Seth, we found one. Um, you know, he's Willie's been a, a traveling road show. He's, he's been, you know, the... 23rd player on a roster. But for we agreed a long that he might have been the MVP last year. Yeah, he was, but he wasn't because he was the permanent left fielder. He was because he played nine different positions and performed okay. Everywhere. When everybody strikes out and everybody gets hurt, you need that guy. Well, I get that. So there you go. If everybody strikes out and everybody gets hurt, let's run him out there. But in the meantime, let's see if we can get an upgrade and let him be that guy who can play every single position. Well, it's going to be interesting because, again, you need a Byron Buxton insurance policy. That oh, yeah. just goes without saying for every season from here on out. I want to talk about one more outfielder, and then we will let you go. The two trade targets going into this offseason were Polanco and Kepler. Polanco, obviously, has been dealt. There's still this lingering feeling of another move or two. I think, Dave, we've given our opinions already. We did this in previous weeks, but Seth, I'm going to go to you. Does Max Kepler make this opening day roster, or is he somewhere else by then? Um, in the end, I think there's a certain level of blind loyalty that we have to guys that have been here for a long time. I like Max as a person. I think he's been a great steward of the game within our community, but just from a strictly a, a baseball perspective, I think he's too inconsistent to be a part of what we want to be. I think we need – I see Bellinger potentially in that spot. Again, Castro should be taking some of those at-bats. And if they don't move him, he'll certainly be slotted into right field. But in the end, uh, I would like to see us move on. It is interesting because the inconsistency has been shown. You talked about Walner going to Snowland. Dave will correctly die on the sword of 
everybody hated what Miguel Sano eventually did here. And you look at some statistics, and Max Kepler was riding high in the fans' opinion, and Max had statistics that were worse. Yep, hundred. I agree with that. He could play right field. Sano, we know, could right, not. Right. But numerically, they were Sano had better numbers. Max bought time with a hell of a second half last year. We'll yep. see just how long. We are out of time with you, Seth Marsalik, but this was awesome. We're we're bumping out with Love Hurts, which is a perfect song for me when it comes to the Twins because I love them pretty much unconditionally, and it's, it's hurt me a few times before. But we love you as well. We appreciate the time today. See you in 20. Yep. Appreciate it, fellas. Go Toppers. All right, that's our guy, Seth Marsalik. Marshall does have playoff hockey today. They will host Northern Edge in the play-in round of the 7AA tournament. Northern Edge and Marshall, the winner gets Andover. Yes, that's not the greatest uh, prize, but uh, win today and let's let's give it a shot, like you guys were saying. A goalie could steal one. Again, I'm trying to, to save you, my voice. Again, to give you seven double A Grand Rapids will play somebody. They get the winner of Anoka and Cambridge. Andover gets the winner of that Marshall Northern Edge game. The two matchups in seven double A we know: East Denville Tuesday on these airwaves and Rock Ridge hosting Forest Lake. That ought to be a game. That will be very interesting. Playoff hockey always is. 7A, the top four are incredible, too. If those all come through, it'll be a great semifinal Saturday next week. Next segment is our last one. Vince Glenn to talk about NFL postmortem. The season is over, but that league season is never over. Stick around. We'll be right back. A very appropriate song for the final segments of our belated Valentine's Day edition of the Northland Sports Page. Celebrating it here on the 17th. Brian Prudhomme, Dave Cook, and a guy we love. Vince Glenn is right around the corner. We like to think he loves us, too, because he certainly attends the show consistently. We'll do at least one more as the football season. That's a wrap. But with Vinci, it, it never is. We can always find something to talk to him about. Oh, 100%. And, and um, you know, Vinci's takes have been, I mean, I don't know how often you get this, Brian, but I have get more and more texts on a regular basis about Vinci's takes from listeners. Uh, that's really fun because it's able, we're able to say you should you should have the opportunity to talk to him as much as, as we do because his takes on the radio are, while really cool, uh, his takes off the radio are, are sometimes, I'm not going to say more entertaining, but deeper. How about that? Absolutely. And again, you talk about listeners reaching out to you about you know how he does things on the radio with us. I already told him during the holiday season, I was surprised he wasn't invited to join my family because my mother ah, is ah, obviously ah. our most dedicated listener. And if I had a nickel for every time she says, I love Vincey's segment, I could retire tomorrow. So Drawing Lines is the segment. And again, it's brought to you by Aurora Architecture Studio, one of our great sponsors. And with all the fanfare, let's let him talk. Vince Glenn, good morning, sir. <laughs> good morning, guys. How are you? And tell moms I appreciate the love. I will tell do moms that. I appreciate the love. I, I'm just waiting for you know a Thanksgiving or Christmas where you're going to be up in the Duluth area with us because my mom <laughs> loves your segment. And hey, man, I'd love having you. Hey, I don't go nowhere. I'm not invited. If I'm invited, I'm there. I'm there. I can appreciate that. Speaking of invited and there, you mentioned last week that a buddy of yours wanted you to go to a Super Bowl party. Did you end up going? Because it was the same segment where you said, when it comes to this game and a lot of things, you consider yourself antisocial. Um, I was very antisocial. I don't even think I saw anybody on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> I just stayed home. I think I went to KFC. Uh, before the game, got me some Kentucky Fried Chicken and came on back home, and that was my Super Bowl Sunday. You know, there I tend to agree it. with the way that you did that because I was very similar. I watched it essentially by myself. What surprised me, and I don't know if it was the Taylor Swift factor or the Usher factor, but it was the first time that my wife and I sat in the same room, and she was cool with having the game on too. 
I don't think in what's going on 11 years of marriage that had happened before. Yeah, no, I, I, I doubt that. And and I was more like Vincey in that Dana went downstairs and she said, the heck with you, watch the game, I don't care. And so that's exactly what I wanted to do. I watched the watched the game and she didn't care. All right, so Vincey, what did you think of it? Because there's been some you know post-game hype, if you will, of I can't believe the Niners didn't know the new overtime rules. The NFL is scripted as I was out there by somebody. Can't be Mahomes and the Chiefs is just kind of the reality of things right now. Your your thoughts on what became a good game that maybe wasn't for starters, but maybe was for you because good defense was played. Uh, I, sports have become entertainment. Yes, sports is entertainment, but it's more about everybody's opinion instead of what really happened on the field. Uh, I thought it was a good football game. I think Greenlaw going out was a big, huge factor for San Francisco as far as defensively. And the Super Bowl, you just see guys that make plays when they need to and guys that don't make plays. And that's what I said is always up to tackling and the guys that can make the plays or not give up the big plays under adverse situations. And you saw Brock Purdy's a great quarterback, but he still has a lot to learn. He has to go through the 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 good and the bad of being an NFL quarterback, like every player does, and you saw a team that was very good players, but just don't know how to get over that hump. And I think San Francisco is the kind of organization right now is looking for that scapegoat of why they can't get over this hump. And I I just believe uh, I like their offensive system but they never put any threat on the defense because when I say that, all their motion behind the backfield and all that, that's fine and dandy for a running game and that misdirection. But when it comes, you're not threatening your defensive, the defensive back. You're not putting pressure on them. You don't have a Jefferson to push them down the field, Jamar Chase, uh, uh, St. St. Brown, all these kind of guys that just put so much pressure on your defense, you can't sit there and get schematic on them. And they just don't have that kind of receiver. And I think that's what hurts San Francisco. It's, it's interesting you say that, Vincey, because I would have, uh, and, and I think we can have the conversation, I would tell you San Francisco's receivers are better than Kansas City's. Like, I will look at Kansas City and I'm like, I don't know how you keep doing this because you've got scrap heap guys all over the place and uh, yet your quarterback uh, keeps making things magic. But I did want to ask you something, and that's Steve Wilkes was let go right after a Super Bowl where, where man, his defense all season long was very good. And in the, the last two games, the playoff game against Detroit and then the Kansas City game, his, his defense gave up some points against two pretty good offenses. What's, what's the thought process behind stuff like that? They, they look for the scapegoat. That offense is not prolific in San Francisco. It's not consistently one day, one 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 series they'll drive down the field and just look unstoppable, and then they'll go three series and just won't do anything. That stresses defenses out. When you play against championship quality teams in the playoffs, you stress defenses out. You need to get off the field defensively, you know. But when your offense is out there three plays, and then the other team is getting eight to nine plays per your three plays. Your team's going to get tired and make mistakes, and they're going to get the advantage. That offense is not consistent as far as moving. One, they'll go 12 plays, 85 yards, and then go three series of three and out. And you'd be like, what, 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 what plays are they calling over there? 
And I, I just think it's, it's a team that looks for scapegoats, and they always blame their defensive coordinators. Oh, when they lose, how, how can you do that to Wilt? Why are these teams, yep. Wilt, helping these teams to, to come to glory, and then you get rid of them because you lose? They don't get rid of players no more. They get rid of coaches. Yep. I've never seen so many coaches just get fired, and when players don't play up to their abilities, then the coaches just get fired, and they say it's the coaching scheme. So they go get a whole new coach and bring in a whole new schematic for the next year, and you still got the same players missing tackles, coming late to meetings and missing assignments. You tell me. No, I think you're 100% right. The scapegoat is the key term there. We've only got about three minutes left, so I want to localize and talk about our favorite team, the Purple. Unfortunately, they haven't been in a Super Bowl since January of 1977. But starting to see some mock drafts out there, and that's more Dave's wheelhouse than mine. I'm more about free agency and the proven players where Dave will talk about the draft and the combine, probably for the length of an entire show if we let him. But one of the mocks that Dave shared with me that interested me had the Vikings dealing Justin Jefferson. I think the example you gave me was to Arizona for a boatload of picks and what have you. I just found it somewhat unimaginable, not just because of how good Justin Jefferson is and what the fan base values him as, but part of it for me was, are you going to stockpile picks for a guy that we're not sold on making the picks in Kwesi Adolfo Mensa? Two-part question. If you're the Vikings, would you stockpile as many picks as you can? And can you see this team without Justin Jefferson as a goal? This, you got to look at the division. Green Bay's coming. Chicago is coming. Detroit is there. So if you're sitting there getting rid of players and trying to stockpile and, and, and win through the draft, you're not going to do it because you only have a, a two-and-a-half, three-year window to win. And the team, the division you're in is very, very, very good. You need a Jefferson to threat all the time. You just have to have a locker room with guys that are committed to winning. And they just don't have that locker room. Their whole locker room is based off offense instead of a pure team that's based off winning championships and playing together no matter how they win a football game. And that's what the Vikings got to get back to, just getting guys on the field that just want to win because they're guys in the league that do want to win and play hard and play the right way. So I don't believe in getting rid of Jefferson. I think that's going to put them back even farther. But they just have to find a leader in that locker room and everybody needs to get on board. Dave Venzi said, trading Jefferson will put this team back even farther than they may already be in the division. Sounds like the text I sent you in response. Well, I think that's true. I think it's an interesting thought process. But, I mean, the only question I'd have, uh, Venzi, and this is going to be a little counterintuitive, is that I don't know if they have a three-year window to win. I think that window's gone. That may, that probably is true. That's, that's a good assessment to have. But you have to start with someone to get other guys to come there. Yep. You have to have a player that's good and people say, all right, I can play with this guy. He's a baller. And then build around that. But if you don't have anybody there to say, okay, who do we put our hat on? You're just going to get potluck. And that's, that's what you're headed for if you start dealing people out and just trying to turn the boat around. This is not a Houston situation. Houston, I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Unless you got that GM and that staff and those players, it's hard to turn that thing around like Houston did. So I think just stay you're close, but you just need how to learn how to win close games and build a locker room around it. That's the thing with the Vikings going into this offseason. More questions than answers, certainly. 
The best thing about Vincey Glenn is every question we give him, he's got a great answer. Vincey, this was fun again. Let's talk again whenever you're ready. I know football's over doesn't mean we have to be. I'm ready anytime, pal. Just give me a call. I'm always here for you. Thanks, All Vince. Right, we love that. Thank you, Vincey Glenn. Thank you, Seth Marsalek. Thank you, Dave Hoops. Thank you, everybody. We love doing this show. That was the theme of the day. Have a good weekend. We'll see you.